going live in 15 seconds. Hi, and welcome to Answers News for March the 10th, 2021. I'm Avery Foley. I'm here with Dr. Jennifer Rivera and Brian Osborne. Hey, guys. We have a live studio audience. Everyone want to clap and say hello? Look at that. We're so glad you're joining us today. A couple oh, things yeah. we want to mention here as we wait for people to get their notifications and jump on. Uh, first thing we want to highlight is um, Answers TV. For those of you who are watching us live on Answers TV, special shout out to you. Um, for those of you who'd like to give it a try, um, you can go to answers.tv uh, and try a seven-day trial for free. On Answers TV, you can get all of our live streams as well as um, different conferences, kids programming, science programming, adventure programming, over 3,000 different videos now. Um, so excellent content on there. Um, I strongly encourage families to give that a try. Um, so answers.tv is the place to go uh, for that. The other thing I want to mention is our Answers for Women conference, which is coming up very quickly. I can't believe it's already the Next 10th week. of March. I know. I'm <laughs> this excited is about just that. like around the corner. I don't know how that's possible, but somehow it is. And isn't Georgia qu currently quarantining to stay safe? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Healthy yes. Before the conference, she's running it. She wants to be sure she's there. Yes. Ready to go. She's very excited about it. Um, so that's taking place March 19th through the 20th. Now, um, we are sold out to attend in person, but you can stream the conference through Answers um, TV, all the details on how to purchase that and do that are, are there. So I encourage you to go to Answers TV um, to learn more about that. Um, it's going to be an excellent conference, so you'll want to be yep. sure to stream that for your family or get your women's group together, small group Bible study, your church together to enjoy uh, that. They're going to be talking about um, truth uncovering the lies we believe. So discernment. How do we look through some of the stuff going on um, in the culture and some of these mm -hmm. things that we're told that sound Christian and sound biblical but really aren't. Um, so how do we learn to be discerning? This is going to be a great conference really for that. Good. So I encourage you to, to check that out. All right. So our first news item here, our kind of uh, fun one as we get started here. California man's wallet lost in Antarctica returned after 53 years. Wow. <laughs> of all places in the world to lose your wallet. <laughs> That'd be one where you're not expecting it to ever come back, I would think. Exactly. <laughs> so how do you actually get it back? Did penguins bring it back? I mean, what happened with that? <laughs> I don't know. They were demolishing some building um, in Antarctica, and they found it. And they actually tracked him down. He's 91 years old now, and they returned his wallet to him after 53 years. And it's kind of interesting because it's actually an organization that kind of finds artifacts of veterans, basically, or people who have worked in service, and they try yeah, to return those items to them, right? So Pretty neat. Kind of, yeah, this particular organization was behind that, and they actually have returned other artifacts mm -hmm. that they have found to uh, people after many years of losing them. So it's pretty amazing. Which, how neat must that have been for that guy to get that wallet back, see yeah. the pictures, your ID, uh, the different things. Actually, I think in his wallet, he had a reference guide of what to do during an atomic blast. In Antarctica. In that day and age, right? <laughs> of what they were mm -hmm. going through with the wars and so yep. forth. Very yeah. interesting. Like receipts of things he had sent to his wife while he was researching in Antarctica. So kind of neat. Pretty neat, yeah. Yeah. Kind of a, a fun fun story. But. Well, a little side story. So when I was in Australia, you know, I've got to mention that at least once per show, um, but I was driving along the Great Ocean Road, and I had one day to do it, and I was taking in the sights as much as I could. So I was stopping at spots, running out, taking pictures, video, running back to the car, driving further down the road. At one point, running there and back, I lost my wallet in Australia. And so I didn't know I lost it, so I drove down the road about half an hour, saw other sights, and about an hour later, I realized I don't have my wallet. 
I'm in a foreign nation, don't have my wallet. I don't know where it's at. It's pretty scary. I drove back to where I thought I lost it, went to that spot, searched the whole area, found it nowhere. And then this young gentleman saw me and said, hey, did you lose your wallet? Because I think he saw the panic on my face. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He said, well, some guy actually found one here about an hour ago, and he took it to the police station. So I went to the police station. They had my wallet. And then later on, someone who found it actually posted it on my Facebook page. Hey, we found it. Go check it out at the police station. So if you're watching, whoever returned it, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I did find it. Yeah. It's pretty scary, though, for a little while. <laughs> well, we're glad you got yours back. And it, it wasn't didn't 53 take 53 years, years exactly, yes. <laughs> before you finally got it back. <laughs> All right. So our next one here comes from the New York Times. Major evangelical adoption agency will now serve gay parents nationwide. So this is regarding the um, Adoption and Foster Care Agency, Bethany Christian Services, which just announced um, a couple, a little while ago, that they are now going to be providing services to LGBTQ parents nationwide. They've changed their position on that. They'd, they'd sort of been changing it so that individual um, agencies in like individual cities could make that decision for themselves, but now they've said nationwide, this is how we're going forward. Yeah, they actually said, we will now offer services with the love and compassion of Jesus to many types of family who exist in our world today. And I thought it'd be interesting just, or maybe poignant to go, look at 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible that defines what love is biblically for us and gives you all those mm -hmm. attributes of love. But if you go to verse 6 in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, it says this, it, love, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. By mm -hmm. definition, things like homosexuality, they can't encompass love because they're, they're wrongdoing biblically, mm -hmm. right? And so the type of love they're talking about, they want to show the love of Jesus. Well, Jesus would not condone homosexuality or these sort of same-sex homes these kids will be sent to now. And so they're not practicing the love of Jesus because God's truth and his love can never be separated. They mm -hmm. both come from his nature. And so they're trying to do something utterly unbiblical, maybe with good motives. I don't know their hearts but it's utterly unbiblical. Mm -hmm. And it says they've been around 77 years, it says. So for 77 years, mm -hmm. they've been trying to place children into biblically you know, grounded families. And, and Brian, you said you had some experience with them because yeah. they actually required people to give their testimony That's right. before they would place children with them. And for our first adoption, it started going through Bethany, went through them for a few years. The adoption never panned out through them. Uh, we got our first adoption privately, actually, after that. But, um, yeah, worked with them for a while, and it was a good experience when we worked with them. Had to give a testimony of our, of our salvation experience to them at the time. I'm not sure if they still do that or not. This yeah, was quite say. a few years ago. Okay. Uh, but uh, I don't, I mean, I'm kind of wondering, are they doing that now? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they said that, you know, they're not taking an explicit stand on sexuality mm -hmm. issues, but they are. Because if they're willing to say, we're going to put children in a same-sex home, you're assuming that home is safe, right, and good for the child, which means you're endorsing that home. Mm -hmm. So they're not being neutral, even though I think they're trying to be. They're really not. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to note that this, this didn't happen overnight. This yeah. has been a slow, gradual thing that's happened. Um, back in 2007, they had in their, their statement, their doctrine statement, that God's design for the family is a covenant and lifelong marriage of one man and one woman. And then in 2019, a spokesperson was asked to comment on this, and they said that God has a perfect design for the family. And then they went on to say that, but there are many opportunities in our world for a family to not meet that level of God's ideal. 
So you see there in 2009, you can see kind of a shift. Well, the, the, you know, God has his perfect ideal over here, but in our world today, and then you get to 2021, well, we don't take an official position on that. So where are they going to be in 2023, 2024, 2025, right? If they're not grounded on the authority of the word of God, then they have no foundation with which to define what a family is. Where do you go from there? Do you start placing children in polyamorous homes, in right. polygamous homes, right? If you have no ultimate standard, then anything goes because it's just up to your own opinion, not the absolute standard of the word of God, which defines family beginning right there in Genesis. And I think it's pretty clear too that some of the compromise obviously occurred through the board members they were selecting right. to represent them because yeah. it even says that the board members have diverse personal views on sexuality. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can see right there, once you open the door for the board and you know who's mm -hmm. kind of organ you know, overseeing mm -hmm. the organization, uh, there's definitely room for compromise there. Well, mm -hmm. And they actually say that Christians of mutual good faith can reasonably disagree on various doctrinal issues about which Bethany does not maintain an organizational position. But we were talking before the show, I mean, the Bible is so clear on mm -hmm. what marriage is and what, on what sexuality is. Marriage is one man, one woman mm -hmm. for life. The Bible defines it clearly. Jesus affirms that in Matthew 19. It's all throughout Scripture. The mm -hmm. only way to get any other view of marriage in the Bible is to take it from outside the Bible and try to squeeze mm -hmm. it into the Bible, which means you're reinterpreting the Bible to fit man's ideas. And mm -hmm. basically, the text is so clear about what marriage is in the biblical text. To say there are other views, it's kind of like saying, well, there could be other views about salvation. It's not just through Christ alone. You can have the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Because those two things, faith alone and Christ alone, marriage, mm -hmm. one man, one woman for life, are explicit in the biblical mm -hmm. text. Yeah. Right? They really, really are. And so the only way to get any different views is to reinterpret the text with man's ideas, which means you're now deferring to man's word as your authority. Therefore, mm -hmm. God's word is not your authority. And you see the results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and obviously, one of the, the main reasons they say they're doing this is because they don't want to lose the, the government contracts, right? Of course, because the government is now yeah. um, increasingly different states are saying, we will cancel your, our contract with you if you are not willing to put children in these homes. Even though those, those LGBTQ couples can go elsewhere, they can go to other organizations. Right. Um, and so obviously, Bethany doesn't want to lose that. And so they're capitulating to the culture on that. Um, but as believers, that's, we're not supposed to fear man. We're supposed to fear God, right? So we're supposed to stand on what the word of God says and not capitulate to what's going on in the culture and trust that God will, he will care for us and he will care for those children um, and he will honor us obeying him and walking in the way he's called us to do, which is a reminder to all of us as individual Christians, you have to make up your mind on that's this right. issue and you have to decide what you're going to do, no matter the cost, because this is coming for you, right? It isn't a matter of like, if this will happen. No, this is, our entire culture is just dominated by the sexual and gender revolution. It's coming for our churches, for our Christian colleges, for every single Christian organization. And you have to decide before it happens, what are you going to do? Will you capitulate and go along with the culture and abandon God's word? Or will you continue to stay on the authority of God's word and trust that the Lord will do his perfect will regardless of what happens? Just a couple quick things. Please notice that the government is not being neutral. Mm -hmm. It has a morality that it is pushing. Basically, they're demanding you capitulate or you'll be kicked out of society. You can't function in society. So you need to keep that in mm -hmm. mind. And also, it's interesting to note that Bethany said this. For a time, Bethany gave local agencies the authority to determine their practices in their particular states. 
But that means different agencies had different policies. And they said this in response to them trying to do that. They said over time, it got to the point where it became really untenable to have this patchwork of practices. In other words, there's no tightrope to walk. You have to choose which side you're going to stand on. You're going to stand on God's word or you're mm -hmm. not. And you can't, there's no middle ground. There's no neutrality in reality. And it's also interesting that what they based their decision on, they took a poll as to what they should mm -hmm. do. Are Christians, are they willing to embrace this idea of giving kids to same-sex mm -hmm. homes? And they took a poll to see if Christians be willing to go along with that. And they based their decision, at least in part, on what this poll said. Mm -hmm. We don't go to polls to decide what is right, What's true, and good. popular with Christians, right? no. You don't go to the courts. We go to the Word of God, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so we gotta keep in mind, we go to God's Word on this. And by the way, the poll they took said, 32% of professing Christians were okay with their new practice, mm -hmm. which shows just the collapse of the Christian worldview, even mm -hmm. in much of professing Christianity. Mm -hmm. All right, this next one comes from Daily Beast. The world's oldest woman doesn't look like you've been told. So the world's oldest woman, <laughs> not talking about anyone who's living. <laughs> this there are a lot of jokes that go about... right there that could get me in a lot of trouble. So I'm going to leave them all alone. <laughs> this is talking about Australopithecus afarensis, better known as Lucy, who's believed to be, you know, one of our, you know, someone way back in our distant human ancestry. Um, and they're talking about the problem of how every museum you visit is going to depict her differently. Right. Um, some are going to depict her more ape-like. Some are going to depict her more human-like. Like, uh, they're talking about that problem of how do museums depict these different extinct creatures, and it all depends on the biases of the artist who's going in and creating these uh, different sculptures. And, and we things. actually made this article. We, we were excited because yeah, it does yeah. mention Answers in Genesis. Yep. It says they depict Lucy as a knuckle-dragging ape. Hmm, I wonder why we do that. <laughs> Could it be because Lucy is an ape, right? right. No she was no, an ape. Yeah. Part so of the we ape depict kind. her exactly as she should be depicted. I'd probably <laughs> right. say ours is probably the most accurate representation. I, I would think so. We uh, may be biased, but I agree. Right. <laughs> Could be biased. <laughs> but but it, as we were saying, at least they didn't make it sound it as, uh, they didn't make it sound too derogatory. Yeah, like a which lot was of unusual. Do, right, which <laughs> was kind of nice. So. They, they did say that we, it was an obvious error. Right. But, which Ooh. it's not, but. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. They actually said, and we're and talking about our display of Lucy, they refer to these, this unknown panel of experts. They said the broad consensus among scientists is that Lucy was a bipedal who walked on two feet, which is technically not true. There are many secular evolutionists who firmly believe Lucy was a knuckle-dragging chimp-like creature. Actually, the foremost experts in this field agree with that assessment, and they would actually agree with the way we portrayed her. So I'm not sure which experts they're appealing to, right? Um, mm -hmm. but they did make some good observations. If you read through the article, they mm -hmm. were pretty open-minded to the fact that, yes, when you're trying to put hair and skin and flesh on bones, on partial fragments of bones, there's a lot of room for interpretation. You get a lot of various interpretations and productions as a result. And they and so did address how few bone, facial bones they actually found. Mm -hmm. Right. And so yes. when you're trying yeah. to do facial reconstruction with minimal amount of data, it, a lot of it is up to you know, that artist's really interpretation is. of that. Well, yeah. and it's interesting to note, most people don't realize, but of the original Lucy fossil, they found 25% of the total original Lucy fossil which is very fragmented. They found bones of her relatives later on. They put all that together, and all of her bones of the Australopithecines are very similar to that of a modern-day chimp. 
Chimp-like long arms, chimp-like curved fingers, chimp-like short, short legs, chimp-like feet, big toes out to the side, chimp-like hips to walk primarily on all fours, chimp-like barrel chest, chimp-like shoulders, chimp-like neck, chimp-like scuds, like a chimp. And so, but that doesn't fit the secular desire for the mm -hmm. interpretation of Lucy to fit the evolutionary narrative. So in some cases, they'll go to very great lengths to make the evidence fit their preconceived ideas. Mm -hmm. And this article is great because it really does multiple times. Talks about the misinterpretations, the lack of empirical justification for how they represent Lucy. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just really does go over and over again about how there really is no basis for a lot of the interpretations that you do see mm -hmm. of Lucy. Mm -hmm. And they're highly inaccurate. Yeah. And you're an expert in forensic science, which is trying to put flesh on these old bones in the sense mm -hmm. of trying to figure out what happened in the past, so maybe a version of forensic science. And so would you say there's a lot of room for interpretation if there's little data to work if with? If you have little data to work with, yes. Yeah. Now, you are re relying a lot on, and especially the key is, is that they are trying to make her more human. Right. Then mm -hmm. they're going to yeah. apply human measurements and human characteristics to her mm -hmm. to complete that information. If they went through a completely different worldview and looking at it through an ape, we would see a drastically different appearance as we represent her here. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So you were talking about some of the great lengths people have gone to. So <laughs> here's some some uh, one little video clip. Um, this is from w way back in 1994, the year that I was born. <clears throat> um, wow. <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> Talking about some of those drastic uh, measures that people went to um, in interpreting this. One other yes. quick thing before you play oh, the yeah. clip. So the hips of Lucy look very much like that of a chimp. And so her discoverers, they didn't like that because it did not fit their preconceived ideas. So watch what one scientist does in particular to make the evidence fit their ideas. And as you watch this clip, we're not trying to attack their intellect. I'm sure these scientists are brilliant, mm -hmm. especially in their fields. But what we are showing is the power of your worldview to dictate what you do and how you interpret what you're looking at. The ape that stood up, it was a revolutionary idea. We needed Owen Lovejoy's expertise again because the evidence wasn't quite adding up. The knee looked human, but the shape of her hip didn't. Superficially, her hip resembled a chimpanzee's, which meant that Lucy couldn't possibly have walked like a modern human. But Lovejoy noticed something odd about the way the bones had been fossilized. When I put the two parts of the pelvis together that we had, this part of the pelvis has pressed so hard and so completely into this one that it caused it to be broken into a series of individual pieces which were then fused together in later fossilization. After Lucy died, some of her bones lying in the mud must have been crushed or broken, perhaps by animals browsing at the lakeshore. Fossils don't really form that well, that way. <laughs> uh, this has caused the two bones, in fact, to fit together so well that they're in an anatomically impossible position. Listen to this. The perfect fit was an illusion that made Lucy's hip bones seem to flare out like a chimp's. So the perfect fit that, that shows that her hips are like that of a chimp, that perfect fit is an illusion because it doesn't fit their worldview. Now watch what they do to make it fit their worldview. But all was not lost. Lovejoy decided he could restore the pelvis to its natural shape. 
He didn't want to tamper with the original, so he made a copy in plaster. So there you see the power of worldview, right? Um, in interpreting that, which is um, a little bit what this article was getting towards, um, was just that power of, of the worldview. All right, this next one here comes from Christian Headlines. A sad day, New Mexico repeals protections for healthcare workers who oppose abortion. Um, so recently, the governor of New Mexico signed a bill into law that not only repeals the state's 1969 um, abortion ban, they call it an abortion ban, it's really just a partial abortion ban, really, um, but also rolls back conscience protections for hospitals and healthcare workers, meaning that um, healthcare workers no, um, are no longer able to just to have a conscientious, you know, religious, moral objection to participating in an abortion, um, and hospitals no longer be able to turn patients away for an abortion um, procedure. So a pretty far-reaching. Um, repeal there of that bill. It basically removed all protections for the unborn completely. So yeah. pretty much mm -hmm. any abortion up to uh, the point of delivery is from what I understand. No protections at all. And they removed any protection for any medical health care professional mm -hmm. who would say, I don't want to do this procedure. It goes against my morals or my religious views. That's not a legitimate excuse in their eyes anymore. You must participate or you cannot play in our society. You can't practice a particular field. And so mm -hmm. notice what they're basically saying. You will comply to what we believe to be right and true or you won't be allowed mm -hmm. to function mm -hmm. in society Mm -hmm. the, the governor said, a woman has the right to make decisions about her own body, which of course is, uh, very few people would, would disagree with that, except that they're defining own body as also the body of an unborn child, which they're defining as part of her body, which scientifically speaking makes no sense whatsoever. The child is clearly not just an extension of the mother's body. Mm -hmm. um, your, the uterus actually has to have anti-rejection mechanisms to make sure that the body doesn't reject the growing child because it's not part of a woman's body. It is a unique human being growing in the womb. That should be very obvious if you think about it in terms of if you have a boy child, it has you know, XY, you have XX, like it's not part of so your wait. body. It's just not scientifically Your accurate. children are not part of your bodies right now? They are. They're, they're not. <laughs> they right? weren't when they were. They, they were maybe in, they attached to you via the placenta, but not. Like, it's, it's just, it's utter nonsense. And she keeps on yeah. going. Anyone who seeks to violate bodily integrity or to criminalize womanhood is in the business of dehumanization. Criminalize we womanhood? Were, yes, we were all confused by what exactly what? does criminalize womanhood mean? Because <laughs> we want to stop women from being able to murder their own children, mm -hmm. therefore we want to criminalize womanhood. That it doesn't follow, that doesn't make sense. It's just fancy language to try and get around the fact that they just want women to be able to kill their own children at their own whim. And what, it, ultimately, it goes back to... Who's the authority on this issue? Yeah. When does mm -hmm. life begin? Mm -hmm. What is the entity in the mother's womb? Yep. And you got foundationally two options of authority to appeal to. Either you trust what the Bible says, mm -hmm. that God made us in his image. He knew us in our mother's womb. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us before we were even formed in the womb. Either you say God's word is the authority mm -hmm. and life begins at mm -hmm. fertilization as clearly implied from the text, or you trust man's ideas as your authority. Mm -hmm. And man's ideas in our secular culture says, well, life doesn't begin until essentially you're out of the womb. In some cases, not or even Or maybe later. Dead. Maybe <laughs> later, person. right? Mm -hmm. It's totally subjective. So what authority yeah. are you trusting in ultimately? Mm -hmm. All right, this next one here, speaking of who's your authority, this one comes from just the news. Pope Francis warns rising temperatures could cause another great flood. Wait, does he believe in the first flood? Okay, well, let's listen to what he has to say. <laughs> 
So during a recent interview, yeah. he talked about the flood, and he said the Bible says that the flood is the result of God's wrath. It is a figure of God's wrath. So there, right there, you see figure. It's just mm -hmm. a metaphor. It right. didn't really right. happen. Didn't it's really a happen. figure of God's wrath. Who, according to the Bible, has seen too many bad things and decides to obliterate humanity. Huh. That is not what Genesis 6 says. <laughs> like, in his statement there, completely gone is God's just wrath on sin. That wrath is rebellion against God. That all sin deserves the penalty of death because that is the just penalty for sin. We see that right there in Genesis chapter right. 3. That, that's gone in here. It's just, oh, God saw too many bad things, so he decided to just wipe humanity out. Not God is justly giving sin the penalty that it deserves. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, what are the bad things God is seeing today, according to the Pope, that'll make him send another flood? Because he's talking about bad things in relation to how we treat the world, how we treat Mother Earth. Like, are we doing bad things environmentally or are we producing too much carbon dioxide according it's to that? It's going to get to climate change. And, and yeah. is that the bad thing we're doing that's mm -hmm. going to cause God to send this other flood? And it's kind of funny. He's actually saying, okay, the mythical event of Noah's flood should be a warning of the real floods he's going to send later on because of climate change. <laughs> Doesn't really make yeah. any he sense. He refer, refers to it as mythical and then historical yeah. <laughs> in the same <laughs> article. Yeah. You can see right there who his authority is. Because he said, the biblical flood, according to experts, is a mythical tale. So obviously the mm -hmm. word of God is not his authority. Experts are the right. authority. But then yeah. in his next sentence, he says, the flood is a historical tale, archaeologists say. So there again, his authority is archaeologists mm -hmm. because they found traces of a flood in their excavation. So what, what I think he's trying to say there is, the idea of a world-destroying global flood, well, that is, that's mythological. That didn't happen. There was a some kind of small localized flood that archaeologists have found some evidence for in Mesopotamia. So it was historical in the sense that there was this small little local flood, but it's mythical in the sense that it's been exaggerated in the Bible to this global event. So his authority is archaeology, is secular scientists, it's not the word of God. And you see that very clearly there. Yeah, someone says in the comments here under Ken's Facebook page, did he read his Bible? Right, because this is not what you get right. when you read the word of God. And the short answer <laughs> is no. The most no. fascinating thing is that there's so many, and you'll see this often where people think that something never could have happened in the past. The, the biblical events, there's no evidence of a global flood, never could have happened. But then they'll look at the world today, yes. two-thirds covered in water, That's right. and say, oh, the glaciers are melting. Now we can expect a global flood. That's yes, because right. like, yes, that's what he ties it into is right. climate change. But mm -hmm. I would, if Pope Francis is listening, which is highly unlikely, but if he has happened <laughs> hey. to be listening, I would point him toward Genesis chapter 9, which yes. talks about the um, rainbow covenant that God made, where he said, I will never again send another flood to destroy the earth, which tells us right there that the flood of Genesis 6 through 8 was not a local flood, because we've seen devastating local floods all over the world right. since that event. So if God promised he'd never send another flood like that, then he's a liar because we've seen local floods. But he was saying, I'm never going to send another flood like that because it wasn't just a local flood. It was a global catastrophe that covered the entire planet. And God keeps his promises. So we know there's not going to be another global flood because of the promise in Genesis 9. But it's also a reminder that um, in, in 2 Peter 3, for example, it talks about how Jesus is going to come again and judge. There is another judgment mm -hmm. coming, not by water this time, but by fire. And the way we escape that judgment, you know, when God judges sin, he always provides a way of salvation. And we're not saved through an ark anymore, of course, like Noah and his family were. We're saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. And by repenting 
and putting our faith and trust in Christ and his completed work on the cross. So that's what we should be warning people of, not right. that you know the, the polar ice caps are going to melt and there's going to be another global flood, because God's already promised that's not going to happen. But there is a judgment coming from God, and the only way to be saved is by repenting and trusting Christ. So that's what I would, I would tell Pope Francis if he was listening. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Amen. <laughs> All right. So this next one here comes from New Scientists. Earliest human ancestors may have swung on branches like chimps. So going back to this whole idea of reconstructing our ancient ancestors, this is a different one. Instead of Australopithecus, that's a tongue twister there, Australopithecus <laughs> afarensis, this is um, Artipithecus remedius, um, which is this uh, another just another ape um, that's being posited as a uh, human ancestor and surprisingly, they were saying in this article, it looked like an ape and it acted like an ape and it swung from trees like an ape. It said the metacarpals and the phalanges, both the bones of the fingers and palms were both similar to those of living as apes. Uh, they had, you know, had elongated curved finger bones, mm -hmm. which we see in apes because they have to swing through the trees. They go over and over again and say it clearly has ape-like features, but yet it's maybe not an ape, right? It's an early human well, ancestor. Because like, they're assuming evolution. Right, so they look at the bone structure. Mm -hmm, they see all yeah. the bones are very ape-like, but we know we evolved from an ape-like creature. So this one's found 4.4 million years ago, according to their, their time scale. Mm -hmm. So this must be an ancestor to one degree or another. And notice what they're doing. They assume evolution. They interpret all the observations with an evolutionary worldview. Then they confirm evolution. Right? And they mm -hmm. say they confirmed it using evolutionary modeling. Exactly. And so who right, created yeah, evolutionary modeling? You know, all the biases hands, there. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, they, they said in here that looking at this particular hand of this particular um, ape, they call it one of the earliest hands in the human fossil record. Even though there's nothing human-like about this hand at all, they still call uh, it part of the human fossil record because they're so tied to the to the idea of ape-like creatures to man evolution. But I did like the sentence at the, at the very beginning where they said, in popular thinking, humans are often imagined to have evolved from a chimpanzee-like ape. Imagined is a pretty good word to be using there because this idea just comes from imagination. It doesn't come from the evidence. It's an interpretation imposed on the evidence that is very contrary to the true history given to us in the Word of God. And this one of these uh, summarizing sentences towards the end of the article kind of made me laugh to myself. They said this, understanding hand morphology of our mm -hmm. earliest human relative brings us one step closer to explaining why humans are so different from our close relatives, i.e. the apes. They're getting further away to the actual answer, right? <laughs> right? We're so different because we're made different by God. Humans are made in his image. Apes are not. We're very distinct at multiple levels. If you want to see the key difference between an ape and a human, go to the local zoo, try to talk to an ape, and you'll see like the key differences. All right? They are not made in the image of God. God's <laughs> right. All right, this next one comes from Discern. Video surfaces of young child being led through his gay BCs. Uh, you heard so, that correctly, by the way. Yeah, so gay I'm BCs. just going to play a, a short clip. We won't watch the whole thing um, for the sake of time, but I'll show you just a, a short little clip here of this. If it'll work. Alive. E is for. Five. C is for. Coming out. D is for. Drag. Whoops. So you can see there this kid, I'm guessing he's about three three or so, um, being led by this adult through this book, which is called The Gay BCs. And it goes from A to Z, all these different words associated with the LGBTQ community, like Q is for queer, I is for intersex, you heard C is for coming out, D is for drag, um, stuff like that. Um, and and they, they claim here that this is to normalize non-heterosexual identities, which is necessary for children to be 
respectful of others. This has nothing to do with teaching children to be respectful to be respectful of other people, right? This is everything to yeah. do with normalizing this behavior, getting children to go towards that behavior and getting them to celebrate and embrace all these various identities. You can teach children to be respectful without teaching them to agree with everything, right? That's the parents well, have to do that all the time. God's word. If we teach them that <laughs> yep. everyone's made in the image of God and even mm -hmm. if someone has chosen that path and, and rejected God's will mm -hmm. for their life and chosen an LGBT lifestyle, we still need to respect them. They're still image bearers of the creator mm -hmm. God. We still need to right. love them and pray for them, and you can still have respect for them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is a form of indoctrination. They are trying to, mm -hmm. to just really imprint their worldview onto this mm -hmm. child. And um, we've got to realize that's what it is. And, and actually, all of us, I mean, all of us are teaching our worldview to those around us. Right. Yeah. Sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. I've heard somebody mm -hmm. put it like this we're all making disciples. Just some of us are really bad at it or not aware that we're doing it. But how mm -hmm. we live, what we say, what we teach, how we um, go to our kids and teach them how they should live and according to God's word or according to man's mm -hmm. ideas, how we respond to them, how we love them. We are making disciples according to one standard or another. They're just using mm -hmm. a non-biblical, secular standard. And they are brainwashing their children to fit their worldview. Mm -hmm. But we're all making disciples. The question is, how are you doing in that process, and mm -hmm. are you doing it purposely for the glory of God? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a good reminder to us as parents, these are the kind of books that are going to be in libraries and are going to be in, in, perhaps in your, most likely in your children's school, um, places like that. So we, we need to be aware that at younger Absolutely. and younger and younger ages, this is being pushed on children, and we need to be teaching them how to think biblically, how to understand the world through the lens of Scripture. And that goes um, for grandparents, and, and, too. Absolutely. And grandparents. Mm -hmm. This is train a child in the way they should go, and if we don't plant those seeds of truth, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to become even more difficult for them to stand on authority well, of God's Word. Grandparents are the only source of truth mm -hmm. the kids yeah. have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But true. they've got a unique yeah. relationship with the kids to speak to the kids in a very unique way mm -hmm. and have such an influence on their lives. So we need to take that responsibility seriously if you have grandkids in that respect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today, but we'll be back again on Monday. So hopefully you'll join us again. Um, and until then, ha have a great week and God bless. See you guys. Bye.